All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. So let's talk about God. Let's talk about God. In our brand new studio as well. Still enjoying it. Still vibing. We feel like we're hardcore professionals now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel legit. I See, I've taken on a number of roles lately. Because of this upgrade, I am... I feel like I'm basically a professional like engineer. radio host and sound engineer. Yes. And I'm a professional stockbroker now. Yes, tell our our uh, studio audience. I mean, most of y'all about if, your experience. If you like have the news, you probably know about what's going on with GameStop that uh, a bunch of people on this website called Reddit decided to just invest in GameStop just to make it go up higher and things like that. Um, but I've taken a different route. A more refined route. I have bought cryptocurrency, and it's called Dogecoin, D-O-G-E coin. And as of right now, it is worth an entire five cent per coin. So basically, I'm rolling in cash. This is your first journey excursion into the currency world and currency exchange and. Things of that sort. I'm probably about to start wearing a suit to work every day and trying to like really look like a stockbroker, like like a real New York kind of guy with my Dogecoin. No, he's not, folks. (laughs) Trust me. (laughs) That ain't happening. The guy who has a Nike sweatshirt, hooded sweatshirt on right now in our office. I'm in our, I'm in, this is my transformation. Next week, when I'm rolling in more Dogecoin, I'm going to be in a full suit. When it's up to six cents. Oh, yeah. When it's up to six cents. Oh, yeah. I'm buying a new car, new house. So you and I were talking about this because I haven't jumped on this bandwagon, but I think I might. I mean, hey, what's a little bit of money? It's a dollar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I may I may just do it for the fun of it. But we were we were laughing. Is what What if it did like Bitcoin and it just takes off and becomes worth? 33000 per coin? Per coin, yeah. In that case... I'd be a very rich man because of my five cents of investment. So if it's, you know, 33,000 a coin and you got a thousand coins. Oh yeah. I mean, if I'm doing my math right in that $3 million, it's a lot of money. So that's a lot of money. Uh, I don't know how long it took Bitcoin. I think it took him a few years, but still they did it. Yeah, they did it. So Dogecoin could do. Here's the thing. We have support from Elon Musk. So Tesla guy is just tweeting about it all the time. And every time he tweets about it, it skyrockets. It goes up. I better jump on this fast then. So if he just tweets about it for like every day for the next five years, eventually we'll be at 33,000. Well, all I can say is that I really hope all this works out for you. <laughs> <laughs> I beat you to got the punch. Me. Where's the butt? There, I got it, you right, got it right. Let's go. If you folks remember, we have our new uh, soundboard now, our engineering board, and it has toys. Uh, I see. I forgot about it too. I slapped the table and I was like, wait a minute. I got yeah, the real thing. You got the real rim shot. Got the real deal. Man, that was good. Well, why did you well, say let's you don't hope be, it work? Let's don't belabor the point. <laughs> <laughs> I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of this and it's not good. It, well, see, that's now that's what we have to, not just me, we, our <laughs> listeners, we have to deal with this every month, every two weeks. It's Evan's. Corny puns. So it was my turn to dish out the corn. To shuck the corn, baby. I'm shucking the corn today. Why are you shucking the work corn, the labor corn? What are we talking where about do you today? Think, where do you think you get your puns from? I mean, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. That so. is true. We're going to talk about a theology, and, and our listeners, hopefully, will find this incredibly uh, not only interesting, but relevant. And hopefully everything we talk about is relevant. But this one especially, because we're going to talk about a theology of work and vocation. Mm-hmm. Which and, I think is good. Well, it is because, it, you know, for most people, uh, we, we work. Most people work. Mm-hmm. And so is that just something we do? Is it independent of our walk with God? Or is there actually a theology of work? It, it, does the Bible address it mm-hmm. and the answer is yes uh and it goes all the way back to genesis chapter one i mean so so two so it, it this is this is a an issue that is 
incredibly, incredibly biblical from cover to cover in the Bible. So I'm kind of looking forward to talking about this today. And I feel like most people might be listening to this right now and they didn't even know that there was a theology of work. Like they're kind of like, what? This is in here. We can talk about this theologically. I thought this was just something we did just just to survive and spiritual things are over in another camp. Right. But the Bible actually presents us like a pretty pretty decent theology of work that I think is worth going through from Old Testament to New Testament. So I, I think right out of the gate, we're safe to say your work, your career, your job, your occupation is not independent of your walk with God, but rather it is an integrated mm-hmm. part of your walk with God. It's it's part of serving Jesus. Yeah. And that's what we're going to show you today. So you can't separate the two, okay? So Monday... Monday through Friday, I work. Saturday, I play. Sunday, I go to church. I've got these little compartments. Mm-hmm. Well, that may be how your week goes, but that's not how God sees it. Yeah, God's there Monday through Friday with you in your work, and your work is very rele- relevant to your walk with God. Saturday, your recreation. We might do a theology of recreation one time. Yeah, that actually would be good. But anyway, we'll talk. So you always like to talk, start which I think this is hilarious because we're talking about work. So I have no 30-second definition of... You have no 30-second definition? I, I mean... I stole one. I didn't even come up with my own. I mean, I could come up with one, but you, you do yours you. first, and then I'll... The Lexham Bible Dictionary, right? where I just straight swiped it, says work is an exchange of labor, skill, and time for monetary and intrinsic rewards, often viewed in the Bible as an exercise in stewardship. I guess because work is kind of like, if you're just defining work, that's a bit of a wooden phrase. Yeah. Does that make sense? I, that's I, why it's kind of hard to say. And I think the Lexham Bible Dictionary kind of did a really... I'm Great always job. fascinated, by the way. Can we pause here? I'm just fascinated, and you and I are wordsmiths, but I'm still just fascinated that there are people who can make a dictionary. Yeah, that they have, take for <clears throat> forever. Excuse me. Well, uh, and they have the ability. You got a furball there. Yeah, uh, it, it has the ability <laughs> um, to take a word mm-hmm. and then come up with all the exchange of time and labor. Yeah, for a monetary <clears throat> reward. I mean, just somebody really has to think that stuff through. And I mean, that's just. I think there's a creative element to it. Anyway, I think it's a really good. <laughs> I think it's a really good dictionary. <laughs> this is like our term. most like. What, like hyperactive introduction I think we've had in a while. We need to be hyperactive. We, we need just, to, we we need, gotta get, we're, this we're is just, the first podcast we're recording today and we're trying to like, we're trying to get, get woken up. Yeah. Get going. Yeah. That's, that's it. It's, uh, it's 2021. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start by talking about work in the old Testament. Um, so God actually begins by working the foundation of work of the value of work of why we work is not just because we were created to work, which we're going to get to, but because our creator works. So Genesis 1-1, when God creates the world, it is seen as a work. It's something that he does. It's something that he works on, something that he builds. The God that we serve is a working God. So let's stay there for a minute, because it actually says that God worked or labored for six days yep it actually says that yeah and and i'll find it here it says um um and on the and on the seventh day this is genesis 2 2 mm-hmm. and on the seventh day god ended his work yep which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done so it, it calls it work so the act of creation is work yeah um, so that God is our model th- that he worked. So by virtue of his creative action, we got something mm-hmm. that I think we need to talk about, or we'll slide right over this. It it was God who created the work week. You ever think about that? That's true. That so, is very true. So God created the work week. And, and if you think about it, God created our entire calendar. So we have a we have a day, the evening and the morning were the first day. So a day is a 24-hour period. God created that. He made the earth to rotate in a 24-hour period. So 
that's something God did. So God created time for a day. He created the week, the work week. He created um, the year. He created the seasons, spring, summer, fall, winter. God created all of that, okay, which I think is just fascinating. But it's also that God created the work week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the work week is not built, the week, the concept of seven days is not built around um, physiological elements or or celestial elements, okay? The rotation of the earth, et cetera, the, 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 ro- the earth around the sun and the seasons, it's this is something that God established, which I think is really important because mm-hmm. because it then takes away from that these are things that are done seasonally or d- done by timing of the of the sun and the moon and stars. It's this is something God set up. It's not just practical or just sort of how it is. That it's not like we just rolled the dice and got the work week. This is an intentional design. God designed because days can be grouped together in any kind of grouping. Mm-hmm. Okay, so God created days and He created years and He created seasons. But how those were put together could have been left up to us. I just think it's fascinating that right out of the gate, God said, "You're going to need help with this," mm-hmm. and here is how I'm going to help you with it. A week is going to be seven days. Six of it you can work. The seventh day you don't work. And I'm going to create your body that way that, and we won't get into the Sabbath, but you're going to create your body that six days you're going to expend energy. You need one day to rejuvenate, to recharge your batteries. And if you'll give yourself one day, then you can start another seven days and to go six days mm-hmm. with working. And and that doesn't mean that your work week has to be six days, but you know, you're off on Saturday. There, yeah. Right. You're off on Saturday and you do yard work and you do whatever, you know. Yeah. It, it, it's that you can labor and you can, but on the seventh day, you don't work. Mm-hmm. So that, that in itself. And so I want to say this before God created work, he created the work week. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, we're going to talk <laughs> about Adam here in a minute, but that's just, I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people think about that, that before he created work, he created the work week. He gave us a structure. Gave us the framework for don't, what don't we were you think, designed to do. Don't you think we need that? Oh, absolutely. Because you've got two extremes here. Um, if there was like no work week at all, you could either encourage laziness, meaning if there's no de- definition, then everyone could always just say, I'll do it next week. <laughs> right. And then on the other hand, you have the workaholics who, uh, in an act of self-dependence, will work seven days a week and kill themselves and tire themselves out and do all these other things um, instead of trusting God to be their provider and to be there for them. So God gives us a framework to encourage a meaningful and self-motivated work, and it's a framework for resting and relaxing and trusting that he is going to provide instead of us trying to be our own God and always trying to work and supply for ourselves. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. So anyway, I thought we'd talk about that before we get back to, to God. I think it's fantastic. I think when we look at God as a worker, uh, you know, the Bible uses metaphors to describe him as a worker, uh, oftentimes to describe what he's doing in the world. The, the Bible describes him as a gardener, a shepherd, a potter, a physician, a teacher, a vine dresser, and a metal worker. Now, that's so, cool. I've never thought about that. Really, really neat. That is that's really interesting. Yeah. And all that, yeah, all that's true. But I just never thought about that, mm-hmm. that they use, he uses occupations to describe himself. And I think and we, his work. and I think as we break that down, like you need to realize the Bible, the Holy Spirit is perfectly fine with using human labor and human occupation to describe the act of God, which means that human labor and human occupation, as we're going to find out in a second, isn't inherently sinful or lesser, or a result of the fall, or you seem to be belittled. A curse. Or a curse, or anything right. like that. But God sees it as worthy uh, to, 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 to be used as his description for his working and his acts in the earth. God is obviously condescending so that we can understand what he's doing, but regardless, he's not allergic to that, but instead chooses those words and those occupations to describe what he's doing. But I think we need to move on to the Garden of Eden. We see where God in his nature and his creative work sets the foundation for work. But at the end of the day, 
you and I, human beings, were created to work. So God created humans in the Garden of Eden, and then he literally told them, work it and keep it, Genesis 2.15. He took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. I mean, pretty pretty clear there. Um, I think we see where humans are made in the image of God. Uh, we should certainly see where work is a product of being made in the image of God. It's a reflection Absolutely. of the image of God. God is a working God. Therefore, being made in his image, we should be working people. We should be working people. We are called to be, we've talked about this before, his vice regents, which just means we're God's representatives of his kingdom, of his rule and reign. Yeah, I'm sorry. Let's let's make this clear too. Um, And you use a little bit different Bible version than I have, but you you said Genesis 2.15 says, put in the garden of Eden to work it. Mm -hmm. It actually means the Hebrew word is to cultivate it. Mm -hmm. So, like when you work a garden, this isn't like, okay, I'm going to go outside and work my little garden and w- pull up the weeds in my little garden and it'll take me a couple hours or an hour. It's a little hobby. little hobby. The, he had a massive, the Garden of Eden was a massive amount of acres and acres. Think the Biltmore Estate, something like yeah. that. He, he had a full-time job. Mm-hmm. It gave, and here's the thing, Evan, it gave him purpose. Mm-hmm. He had a purpose every morning when he got up. Okay, I got a job to do. I've got a I got a to do list, and and he was passionate about it, and it fit him. It was agrarian, uh, but it fit him, and it gave him a purpose. and And I think that's important too that God created the earth with a purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think you know God wants us to work our jobs uh, and get up every morning with a purpose, and. Uh, and and see work as a blessing. And I mean, I know we talk about that. I said it earlier, work is, some people see work as a curse. Mm-hmm. You know, man, I got to get them to go to work today. Oh, I got to get them to go to work today. And it, it's not, I mean, if you got a bad job, then, I mean, I could see that. Mm-hmm. There's an answer for that is quit and go get a good job. <laughs> and, and people say, well, that's easy for you to say. And somebody might think I'm being very callous right now. I'm not. We're mm-hmm. in America there are plenty of jobs, and you can go to community colleges at night. You could learn trades while you're working in the day, and and prepares. And I know many of people who've done it. So I'm just I'm not making this. I'm not on a I'm not on a high horse here, or going off on a soapbox. Is we're in America, and if you want if you want to do better or get a job that you can you can do that. Mm-hmm. And we're really blessed in this land. I mean, I, we've got people in our church, ladies that. Worked a job in the day and went to school at night to get a nursing degree. Yeah, and uh, in day they were they were waitresses. I mean, I'm thinking of one right now. If I I'll say her first name. Her name's Courtney. Mm-hmm. Worked at a local restaurant that you and I loved to eat at, and we ate at all the time. Well, and so she would serve as a, a waitress as a server in the day, but at night she was going to to college, become a nurse. Well, she became a nurse. And she left that place and, and now as a nurse and making a lot more money and doing something that she really, really enjoys. Mm-hmm. So work is a good thing. Work ought to be something that you can enjoy and it's a blessing and, um, and, and ultimately, you know, have a lot of benefits to it. Yeah. I think a lot of people see work as that curse and, and they misunderstand Genesis three sixteen through 19. You know, we, we see where Adam and Eve, fall and God shows up to Adam and tells him that your work is going to be cursed. But we have to make a distinction. Work itself is not a curse. We see that God works and we see in Genesis 2, Adam and Eve are made to work. It's that work is now burdensome and and toilsome and laborious and yeah, and very, very difficult where work was a pure pleasure before now it is toilsome and difficult that adam would not cultivate the land and the land would respond in fruitfulness adam's gonna have to work through thorns and thistles and weeds and bad weather and and all kinds of things the ground was cursed Mm -hmm. okay so the ground was cursed that's what the bible says that's right he cursed the ground and, Mm -hmm. and so there were no weeds there were no briars there were no briar patches and thistles and thorns there was none of that mm-hmm. but when he cursed the ground the ground produced that that was a consequence of adam's sin mm-hmm. here's here's what i like to say is that what should have been easy work was now difficult work 
And, and there's a little rule of life that the older you get, is it anything worth having you have to work for? Yeah. Are, are, are you finding that out at your young age? Are you noticing oh, yeah. any of that, that th- things just don't cut? And if something comes easy to you, um, you need to be really thankful because that's the exception and not the norm mm-hmm. that anything, anything in life. And for Adam, it was briars and thistles and weeds. We're not in an agrarian culture, at least you and I, mm-hmm. there, there might be a farmer listening. So he, this fits to him. But if you're a salesman, if you, if you're a plumber, if you uh, are a nurse, you're in the medical field, is any number of, you know, you work in an office, clerical work, or your manager, okay, your company. There are things that you face that make it difficult sometimes to do your job, mm-hmm. and it's frustrating. Well, that's part of the curse. It's just that that life's not always easy. Especially for those jobs that wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for the fall. Like, for instance, a nurse. Like, your job's going to be difficult. It wouldn't exist if sin wasn't in the world. You know, you're coming to, I guess, you're, you're, you're fighting a result of the fall itself. Right. But let's go back to your point is that sin makes, sin has brought a curse on the world and it's made work harder than what it should have been. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I agree with you 110%. It's, but work is not bad. That's right. Sin bad, work good. (laughs) It's it's not, we got to get that in our head. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have this little saying around here. So we're going to throw out a lot of stuff at you today, folks. But we have a little saying around here that we adopted is don't say I have to do something. Say I get to do something. Yep. Right. That's, yep. that's a thing we've adopted, a phrase we've adopted here. And thanks and, to my wife. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to your wife. She kind of introduced that. Elizabeth introduced that and we, we embraced it. And so like, I know your mom, my wife is on the praise team on a Sunday morning. They have to get up pretty early mm-hmm. to get to church because we have two services and, and, uh, she, she's got it. She's not a morning person, but she tries to say, I don't have to, you know, I don't have, I have to get up and go to mm-hmm. church. She's, she, she's, we'll, we'll joke. And I said, no, I don't say have to, you get, I, I get to get up and go to church this morning. But I guess the point is, it's all a point of your mind is don't say I have to go to work. Yeah. I mean, you should say, Hey, I get to go to work because yep. this is something that I was designed and created to do. I get mm-hmm. to fulfill my, my purpose and reflect the image of God. Yeah. Um, I think that's fantastic. And, and I think another thing that we should, we should check out as work is, uh, is that work is seen as stewardship. Humans are created, like we talked about earlier, in the image of God. We're made to be God's representatives on the earth. And I think humans need to remember that our work is, it's not something we get to arrogantly boast in because it's something that was given to us. What we're doing is stewarding God's resources stewarding God's creation, stewarding God's good gifts and talents that he's given to different human beings, stewarding the opportunities and the doors that have been opened up for us. The reality is, is we didn't give ourselves life. We didn't make the world. Everything we have has been given to us and trusted to us. And just as Adam and Eve were called to cultivate the garden, they didn't create the garden. It was given to them to make fruitful and to take benefit of. And I think we need to remember that, that Work is a good thing because it's a gift from God, and work is something that we should see as a responsibility and as an act of worship to take what God has given us and make the best of it. And and if you are gifted, because I think everybody's gifted. I mm-hmm. think everybody has some kind of gifting. Okay, oh, it, absolutely. It, it may be that you're if you're mechanically inclined, then you can fix things, and it's so easy for you. Where mm-hmm. you would be amazed the number of people who would be clueless. They, don't have, they have no idea what to do. But then if you're technologically minded, you have mechanical people who aren't technological, but you can program things and work technology mm-hmm. and electronic. Everybody's gifted. And, you know, there's a phrase that sometimes we use is, what a waste of talent. You know, sometimes we'll say that, but where you have somebody who has talent, who has God-given ability but they're doing some mundane job or they're locked into something and because they don't have the initiative or they don't, they won't take the initiative they're stuck and they have these abilities. And I would just say, if you have abilities, 
steward those abilities. Mm-hmm. Find something that you can do that matches what God has given you. You'll be happier. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that boy, your work will seem more fulfilled when you're seeing yourself as a steward. Yep. You know, not a servant, not a slave, but a steward. Yep. It's a big difference. Right. Yep. Um, I think when we look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament refers to several different occupations, um, but it never distinguishes between sacred and secular work. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't things like that are more, that aren't spiritual in nature. Clearly, the priesthood was spiritual in nature. The priesthood required consecration, it required purification. What I mean is this. The Old Testament doesn't distinguish between jobs that are more important to God and less important to God, that are more holy and good, and then the other people who do these jobs over here are lesser and less important. I think it's clear that, I mean, we've talked about this for quite some time now, God made work and it was good, and all work, as long as it's not sinful in and of itself, is good. Um, The book Work Matters uh, I can't, his last name is Stevens. I can't remember his first name or don't know it, but um, Mr. Stevens, Mr. Stevens, Mr. Stevens in the book Work Matters um, says that the lack of distinction between sacred and secular work is found in Genesis 2.15 already. So the term used for work can also mean service to God and take care can mean keeping his commandments. So that's a little bit of Hebrew there that those of us who don't know Hebrew wouldn't have picked up on, but he picks up on already that the intentional Hebrew used for work and take care denotes this idea of worshiping God, serving God, keeping his commandments. And so we see in the Old Testament pretty clearly God sees work not just as good, not just as equally holy, but I mean, even as an act of worship, it's it's a good thing to work no matter what you do. Like I said, as long as it's not in and of itself a sinful job. So I was kind of excited to talk about this subject today because there is a book, and I think it's because I'm older, that I really enjoy in the Bible, and it's Ecclesiastes. And I used to not really like Ecclesiastes. I mean, it was, obviously, I like all the books of the Bible, yeah, but yeah. it wasn't one that I gravitated to. I think because I'm getting I'm getting older and my wisdom and experience and things, I read it and I can identify with it. And I see the philosophy. It's, mm-hmm. it's a deep philosophical book. Um, and, and then the wisdom within it. And it's just so relevant. Um, and I guess where I'm at at life. So I went through the book of Ecclesiastes. And I just want to kind of talk about this because I think we're moving in that direction. Like Solomon, if you read Ecclesiastes, Solomon says pretty clearly, we are called to work. Mm-hmm. Just what we've been talking about. Okay, but there is a there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says whatever you your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So there's that sense of give it everything you have. Yeah. At why? Because this is your calling. This is in your DNA. This is being made in the image of God. This is the calling from, all the way back to Adam. So there's this elevation of work. You know, at the same time, he also says. Um, so I'm going to just kind of throw some things out here. Uh, you're going to work and it's going to be, you're going to toil, you're going to labor. Okay. And he says, it's, it's when it's, it's going to wear you out, but you can't live to work. Mm. So he says, eat, drink. And this is in Ecclesiastes like several times. Okay. So this isn't a one and done. This is repeated. Eat, drink and enjoy the fruit of your labor. Because if you work all the time, work's going to seem meaningless. So you eat, you you work to get your basic necessities, eat and drink. Okay, you got to put a roof over your head and food on the table and clothes on the back of the you and the kids. Eat, drink, but also enjoy the fruit of your labor. So if you can go buy a boat and not get yourself in debt over your head, but if you can go buy a boat and you like to fish, go buy a boat. If you want a new pair of shoes, go buy a new pair of shoes. You worked hard. You got the money. And there are people, of course, who spend everything they have, and -hmm. then it costs them with their basic necessities. There are people who are tightwads who will just do the basic necessities, but they'll wear a pair of shoes out because they they won't go spend the money. I think Ecclesiastes teaches us don't be extremes. Yeah. Either way, don't be such a tightwad and then don't be a person who spends everything you have and you never save. And you, 
it gets back to that word you use stewardship. I think even in that phrase, enjoy the fruits of your labor. If you're in debt, you're not enjoying the fruits of your labor because you ain't got the fruit to buy it. No. <laughs> and then if you're not enjoying the fruits of your labor, if you're being so stingy, then you're just piling up fruit that's going to rot. You're not. You're going to lose it one when, day. When you borrow money, you're in. You're you're taking the fruits of somebody else's labor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're trying to. Now you're in debt. You're a mm-hmm. slave to them. So I, I just think that's a pretty strong concept there. Yeah, is, I agree. Is work hard. So th- that's why it gets back to work five days if that's your work week. Some people work four swing shifts. I know, but let's just take the typical Monday through Friday, yeah. and then and then it. Friday night, go out to eat, take your wife out to eat, the kids out to eat a nice resort. Saturday, if you want to go do something fun, go do it. As long as you've got the money, you worked hard, you know, uh, but don't spend it all. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, don't be a tightwad. You know, the people never take their families on vacation. When they could go on vacation, it's, it's they could, but they're just tightwads. You know, they're trying mm-hmm. to save all their money or whatever. And they're just, and it's like, no, it's, are those the memories you want to leave your kids? You might, did your daddy ever take you on vacation? No, dad never took us on vacation. We never went anywhere. Never did mm-hmm. anything. You know. Well, that, that's the legacy you leave. Uh, we have to teach our kids. Uh, and then Solomon said, "Don't overvalue your job or the pursuit of money or possessions." You talked earlier about workaholics. I, I think workaholism is a very serious problem, uh, where you just got to work all the time, work all the time. And um, I'm going to go off here on a tangent. Uh, some people do it because they're driven uh, f- to something like success or money mm-hmm. uh, or recognition. Some people do it because they're driven from something. They don't mm-hmm. want to go home. They don't want to deal with a difficult wife or deal with their kids or with the bills or responsibility kind of getting out there now, aren't mm-hmm. I? And so they're either driven from something, driven to something. And so they work all the time and they never come home. Solomon said, don't do that because when you, when you die, somebody else is going to get your job. Mm-hmm. It's true. And when you die, somebody else is going to get all your possessions. So he said, you can't do that. Um, did you ever, it's, it's kind of passe now, but did you ever see the bumper sticker? And I've seen it. It says, he who dies with the most toys wins. No, I think like I've heard that phrase maybe, yeah. but I never saw it. Yeah, it's a bumper sticker that was out, out for a long time. Yeah. He who dies with the most toys wins. So whoever has the most cars, the most boats, the most, you know, you, the more mm-hmm. toys you have, houses, then that's what. And I remember a friend of mine said, that's so dumb. He said, the bumper sticker shouldn't say that. He said, it ought to say he who dies with the most toys dies yeah <laughs> that's what he said i never forgot it he said you're dead yeah he said, you can't take it with you mm-hmm. he said that's not what life's all about uh and then solomon said don't put work before god and the things of god mm-hmm. and sometimes we do that i mean i'm thinking of somebody right now that doesn't come to church uh because they work all week and then they the excuse they made was well i, I work on my books my financial books on Sunday morning. Mm. And I'm like, no, that's just an excuse not to come to church. But but you put you can put work before God. Yeah, you can. And I know people who have to work on Sunday because of their swing shift. But there's a difference between having to work on Sunday and choosing to work on Sunday. Yeah, that's right. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Or you work so much that you're too wiped out to read your Bible and pray and spend time with Jesus. So Solomon made that really clear is fear God, keep his commandments. And then don't make work an idol, which there's sometimes some people do that is it becomes the most important thing to you. But anyway, I, I just thought, man, Solomon, that's why I wanted to talk about that. Cause there's just so much in there that Solomon talks about that has to deal with work. I think, yeah, I think he gives us like a pretty solid rule of life, which I think, I think if we could sum this portion up, it's balance. It's balancing everything. It's uh, if you can do it, get you a job you enjoy because you're created to work and enjoy it. But then don't worship your work, even if you enjoy it. Get the fruits of your labor and enjoy it. But don't worship the fruits of your labor or worship stuff where you start spending money you don't have or or because you want to keep your money, you don't enjoy anything at all. It seems like his rule of life is balance Balance. in everything that you do 
and enjoying it every step of the way. I mean, like you said, life's too short to, you know, work 50 hours a week and dread it every single day and then die. And miss your kids growing up and their ball games mm-hmm. and, and dance recitals and stuff that matters. And they, I'm sure it's more complicated than, than it seems, but at the same time, like if you can set those goals, especially if you're a young person starting out now, try and set those goals where you can open up opportunities for yourself to pursue work that's meaningful and enjoyable for you, not just a way to just make money. Exactly. Um, and I'll tell you something else that is, again, it just depends on your personality. I had this, so I'm, I'm going to be transparent here. Um, that if you work all the time and you're driven, that when you do have downtime, there are people, Evan, that actually struggle with guilt. Mm-hmm. So when they're off work, they feel guilty for not working. And that's a problem. Like I had to recognize that that was a problem with me. And this was years ago. And I thought, this is wrong. This is not, this is not the way I should be living. Yeah. When I'm off, I should be allowed to be off. Like in my mind, I should release myself to say, this is your day off. You don't have to work. It'll be there when you get back. Okay, next, when you start working again, cut yourself some slack and enjoy yourself. And, and believe it or not, I guarantee you, we have listeners right now that are just, we, they sat up in their seat when I said that because you need to hear somebody say, that's wrong. Don't do it. Cut yourself some slack and stop feeling guilty. Yeah. Okay. Jesus. God worked six days and took a day off. That's true. Right? If God took a day off, you can. And he did not feel guilty. Okay? So oh, you don't funny. feel guilty. Yeah. Just put it away uh-huh. and go have fun or go do something. Be there with your family. And I'm going to tell you right now, your kids, they're not going to remember what you accomplished, what awards you got at your company, what positions or titles you had. None of that means a hill of beans to them. What in, in reality, most people aren't even going to remember that. No, what they're going to remember is: Did you come to my ball games? Did you, mm-hmm. Dad? Did you teach me how to throw a baseball and how to catch a baseball, how to hit, how to shoot a basketball? Dad, Mom, were you there for me to in my dance recitals and and sit down and play tea parties with me and 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 do things with me? Did you take me on vacations? Did we go do fun things? Those are the things that kids remember. And so when you die, they're not going to sit around and say, boy, dad won six awards at work. And, and, uh, man, he, they, he got 14 promotions and he, he started making $50,000 a year. And when he was done, he was making 125. That's not, nobody does that. Mm-hmm. I've been to a million funerals. I know they talk about how warm and kind and sweet and gentle and dad was there and he held me and he, you know, those are the things that matter. Mm-hmm. So don't let work rob you of the greater blessings that you have in this life. That's right. I, I think these are good things to talk about. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And we're just in the Old Testament portion. <laughs> yeah. And I think as we move into the New Testament, a lot of these these themes we're seeing are um, highlighted again and again and again. And so let's let's first look at Jesus, and then let's look at the rest of the, the New Testament and see how these themes kind of are, are, are brought back up. Um, because Jesus really does address work. So in Matthew 4, 4, he calls his followers to prioritize God and God's work over prosperity. And I think that highlights Ecclesiastes, fear God and keep his commandments. Jesus calls us to work, but in the proper order. We should be fearing God, which then influences all of the work that we do. We don't worship money. We don't worship success. We don't worship stuff. In all of our work, we worship God. Um, by driving out the merchants in the temple, Jesus illustrates that the trade and the pursuit of riches, uh, they're not esteemed vocations if you pursue them merely for profit. It's not that trading was bad. The people in the temple were selling sacrifices for the people, but it's that they were keeping other people from praying in the process. So Gentiles and women couldn't pray because they had set up in the temple. So what these merchants were doing were taking an honorable job in selling animal sacrifices and making it dishonorable by caring more about money than they do about other people's spirituality and relationships. So when you sell out God to sell products, you're going to tick off the Lord. Yeah, that's right. And be 
He wants to start flipping tables over. Kind of a rough way to put it, but when you start selling out God and the things of God so that you can make money and and it's going to cost you your spiritual life and your family spiritual life and um you know it, it that yeah that's man that's that's a really powerful thought right there that, mm-hmm. that Jesus wasn't just upset cuz they were in the temple turning the house of prayer into a den of thieves but they they were putting the worldly things and their jobs before the house of God that's right that's that's a really powerful thought right there that story you can take a a very good and very honorable job and uh and make an idol out of it and i think you can imagine right now hey if you use your business or your you know business dealings or whatever that is and you worship money instead of god and you sacrifice your morals or maybe you kind of stab people in the back or you kind of lie about the prices or whatever it is just imagine your storefront and Jesus coming in and flipping all your stuff over. <laughs> That's what he wants to do. <laughs> he hates it. <laughs> Anyways. That's um, a great thought. Uh, you know, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus reminds laborers of the necessity of rest after labor. Um, and, he t- and he reminds us that only God can provide as well. And so just like the Sabbath, we're called to rest. Jesus uh, he took a nap in the boat. Jesus uh, calls his disciples after he sent them out, and uh, the I guess the 70, and they were casting out demons and preaching the gospel and things like that. And he's like, hey, why don't we go away and just rest for a time? Jesus knows uh, you, you can't sustain yourself working 24-7. And so even in his own ministry, he took that time to rest and recoup. Let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. That's what he said. Let's Literally. go fishing. Let's go do. Let's go do something fun. Do something else. Um, it's interesting too when we look at vocations and the different kinds of occupations out there. He calls one person to quit tax collecting, and then he lets another one stay in it. So he tells Matthew, "Quit tax collecting. You come follow me." But Zacchaeus, he allows him to continue being a tax collector. I think as we look at the dignity of work. What God is is calling people to do, some people, they need to quit their job. Other people, they just need to do it in a God-honoring way. Well, he quit his job to become a go into full-time ministry. And Zacchaeus got to keep his job, right. but do it rightly, not take advantage of folks. Right. Be, you know, do his job honorably and for the glory of the Lord. And still do ministry by witnessing exactly. to the change that Jesus had made in his life, but now mm-hmm. within his career. And, and, and I think it points out, too, that to be a Christian and to honor God doesn't mean everyone has to go into full-time ministry. It means you can just do your job in an honorable way, and you still have a credible witness in the world. Um, I think as we look at the rest in the New New Testament, I think Paul just does a fantastic job here. I think he hits on a bunch of different things that maybe we can kind of rapid fire here, but I think make really good points. Um, I'm going to skip over this point, but I, I think Colossians three twenty two through twenty four urges servants to er, to serve their earthly masters in ways that are pleasing and acceptable to God. And this principle is over all of labor. So servants who have masters, whether they're slaves or bond servants, just in it for a period of time or whatever, Paul urges them respect your your superior in your job and work hard for them. If we transport this to an American context, what Paul is saying is respect your boss, don't be a jerk, and work hard under them regardless. And then you flip it around. Yeah, and, and most a lot of Bible scholars will do this, and, and I think it doesn't do an injustice. I think it is is applicable. Mm-hmm. Then they'll flip around because he talks to masters. He does, yeah. And by, and by the way, you know our concept of slavery, you, you kind of alluded to it, is like eighteenth the eighteen hundreds and yeah. the and the slaves that were beaten and you know the bad things that happened in America that that terrible period of time that really wasn't the concept that I mean they had slaves like that but most slaves were like indentured they slaves were, yeah and like you made reference to you would be a slave for a time period so there would be a it'd be almost contractual mm-hmm. like I'm in, I'm I'm going to be a servant to you for seven years and then I'm free. Yeah, exactly. And then I'll be a free man again, and I'm just going to work for you. It was kind of a to, to get a job. It guaranteed you a job and work, and you would 
wear nice clothes and live in a nice house. And a lot of times you'd run that, you'd run the whole house. You'd be the steward of the house or you'd teach the kids. You'd be the school teacher. So it was, it was a very, believe it or not, a, a positive thing. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to understand the culture of that day. That's why most, not most, but a lot of your Bible translations will use, instead of slave, they'll use bond servant. Bond servant. It's a different, it gives the correct connotation. Right. Cause you're bonded for a certain amount of time. That's right. But so anyway, it's kind of, kind of tells you that, tell you that. So it'll kind of help you really really kind of mm-hmm. help make an understanding that is is that your master really was kind of like a boss mm-hmm. more like a boss than a like like we think about the bad period where slaves beating mm-hmm. the, you know masters beating the slave of the whip roots you know yeah. like the, old, the old series roots so so you flip it and you say okay you take the same things that he says to the to the masters and you say that to the employers because as we're talking about work today we got people that are listening evan who are employers yeah they own their own businesses or their managers so they have people under them in their department they have a team that they're responsible for they hire they fire them so there are there are things there in the bible that um actually tell us that you treat your treat your labors good and uh and if they're saved you know you treat them a little different because they're they're not just your employee they're brother in christ yeah, sister in christ your brother sister in christ so you have to look at those kind of things let, let me read this here ephesians 6 9 calls masters to treat those who work for them with kindness. And here's the quote, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. And so yeah. Paul is, is basically saying, if you're a, if you're a master, if you're a boss, reflect Jesus's leadership in your, in your own leadership. Right. And I think that's great. I love the fact that we're going to talk about second Thessalonians. Um, I think it's three ten, um, which says, uh, for even when we were with you, and these are the words of Paul, mm-hmm. we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. So yeah. that's where the old, that's where the saying comes, if you don't work, you don't eat. You don't eat. And if you've ever heard that, that's, that's where it, ca- it, comes, mm-hmm. it comes from the Bible. And the reason was, there were people in the church at, at Thessalonica who, they were, they were lazy. Mm-hmm. And he tells them, if you read the next verse, he says that they're they're busy busybodies and they they're they're lazy and they don't work. And and so there is a really important concept here in this verse. This is the Bible now, that says if you're gonna be a child of God and a member of the church of the living God, and you're gonna reflect Jesus Christ and the change that's happened to you as a born again believer, you ought to work a job. Mm-hmm. Okay? And you don't mooch off the church. And mooch off of other people, and and say, hey, can I borrow ten bucks? And you're always borrowing money. Not he says, you don't work, you don't eat. I think that's the biggest thing he's getting at. He's not saying like if you're 64, you can't retire, work till the day you die. No, he's saying you don't you don't get to take advantage of God's kindness, the church's kindness. You don't get to mooch off of us if you can work. You go do that, right? That's why his same advice is to to the to the very uh, young widows to Timothy is like, hey, if you're a younger widow, you really need to go get married because you end up kind of just mooching around and gossiping and not doing too much. Like, if you still got it in you, you you need to go make something of your life. Right? He recognizes you're not taking advantage of the church. The church is here for those who literally have no one else. Right. So there's a context for that. But I think there's a principle. Mm -hmm. And I think that principle is, again, and let me say it this way. So now we've been talking about, we were talking about Old Testament, so New Testament, is that work is 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 a dynamic of discipleship. Mm. How do you like that? That's good. So if you're a child of God, Paul says, and again, we're not talking about retirees. We're not talking about people who are disabled, things like that, people who are whatever. We're talking about if you're a person who's healthy and able and capable of work. Being a disciple of God means you're a person who produces. You work, you get a job, and you produce, mm-hmm. okay. It, it, you don't, you don't be a leech, okay. The proverb says the leech has two daughters: give and give, <laughs> and and that's what leeches do. Give me, give me, give me. You know, mooches. Mm-hmm. Give me, give me, give me. And Paul's like, we're going to give to people that really have needs. But if if you can work, work so that you can be somebody who can help give to meet needs. Mm-hmm. 
I just think it's a real discipleship factor. There. It makes me think of where Paul elsewhere tells the former thieves, "You need to get a give a get a job and work so you can provide for yourself." <clears throat> excuse me, and have something to give to others in need. Exactly. Paul's expectation is that you work hard because you can, so that you can in turn bless others. You don't mooch. You work hard so that you can be a blessing. And Paul was qualified to say this. Um, yeah, we didn't even bring this up about Jesus and Paul. Paul, Jesus was a carpenter. And Paul was a tent maker. And Paul was a tent maker. Mm-hmm. They both had jobs. They yeah. both had skills. And so they were they were able to, to make money. They made money. Mm-hmm. And so when he talks, he's not the preacher. Preacher. You know, you and I laugh about down south. Everybody, hey, preacher. And I go out in public. Preacher, what yeah, you doing? Yeah. They'll call you pastor. It's preacher. Preacher. For those of you who are listening in other parts of the country, that's a southern thing. And uh, preacher. But, uh, you know, we who are in full-time ministry, that is our work. Mm-hmm. Our calling is our way. We don't have careers. We have callings. Uh, but uh, there are bivocational pastors. Yeah. It's because their churches are small and cannot support them to do to give their life, they have to work jobs. And I have a lot of respect, incredible amount of respect for bi- mm-hmm. bivocational pastors because I think what they do is incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, but but Paul understood, of course, you've worked secular jobs I have. You know, I worked at UPS for a year when I was in college, and, and now that's a real job. I mean, you're talking about manual labor. Um, I worked other jobs besides that. I worked since I was 14, I've been working. Um but the the point is, Paul understood. Paul was qualified to talk what he's talking about. And, you know, Paul also, also did, said that work is should be done to glorify God. There, there's a verse he says, not slothful in business, but uh, fervent in spirit serving the Lord. And I think Paul said that, again, this is kind of like what Solomon said, whatever your hand finds, do with all your might. Paul's saying the same thing. But he also takes it a step further and says, your job is not just you working for your boss mm. or that company. You're serving the Lord. I think that's the biggest motivator some people need is if I am only in service to my big corporation or to my boss who acts like Michael Scott, that's kind of dumb or, you know, whatever else, like what motivation do I have to serve them? But Paul says in all situations, work is a gift from God. It's what you were created to do is looking like God. So no matter who you're working for, you should... You should work to the glory of God. In, in reality, Christians should be the best and the hardest workers out of anybody else because we should be the most highly motivated because no matter where we're at and what we're doing, we're glorifying God. Yeah, we're ser- and we're serving the Lord. That's, That's right. what he said. I'm, I'm, do- I'm seeing this not just as, as, make, as a make, making money. ends meet, yeah. making money, but, it's, but this, is, this is my work for God, mm-hmm. not just my work for my company. That's right. So I think that's that's really, really powerful. One we skipped over was James 5, 4. So James condemns laborers who refuse to pay people what they deserve. Uh, people who have dishonest business practices. Uh, somewhere back, yeah, in Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 25, 4 says you shouldn't muzzle an ox when he's treading grain. Paul kind of uses that to say, hey, you should pay your pastors who are working for you deserve, uh, you know, a payment for their efforts. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, 13 through 16 uh, condemns dishonest trading practices like using false weights and different things like that. I think we need to know that uh, people who are business owners and and things of that nature, employers, yeah. employers you need to be honest in what you do. You need to be honest in, in your prices, honest in your business dealings, honest in the information you share with people, honest in how you pay people. Treat treat your treat your workers good. Treat your workers and your customers take, rightly. Take care of your customers. Yep. If you want to keep your customers, treat them good. Mm-hmm. If you want to keep them happy, treat them good. Yep. And it's not always money. People value time. People value uh, training where you help them to be better at what they do. Uh there are, uh, there are other things and treat them good. Give them bonuses. You know, take them out to eat every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Create some esprit de corps, some morale, if you can, in departments. Um, you'd be amazed how it goes a long way. Tell them thank you. Mm-hmm. Even though you pay them, just go in and say thank you for what you do. It is amazing the power of the words of the boss. You can either tear down or you can build up. Mm-hmm. And if you've got a good worker, go in there and, and thank them. And if you don't, 
if they're okay, go in there, encourage them a little bit. They might become a great worker. Mm-hmm. They might just need to hear you say, you know what? I believe in you. you you've got a lot of potential. Uh, I, I believe I believe you could go far. People will just respond to that incredibly. Yeah. I, I kind of have six reasons why you ought to work. You want to hear what they are? Well, let's close with that. Close with our six reasons. Okay. So I wrote down, well, I got a few more things if we can oh, talk okay. about. Sorry, but, go for it. But I got six. I think you work to make a living. So to provide for your family and, and kind of the basics. We already talked about that. And, and then sometimes you work to have a career. So mm-hmm. people climb the corporate ladder and they want to spend their whole life doing that one thing. You know, a lot of people work from job to job, different things they transition. I, I think you work to enjoy life. So again, we kind of talked about that. Uh, I think you should work to save. You know, in America, people don't have savings. You shouldn't work to spend. You do. You're going to do that, but you should work to save. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're going to work to spend, but I'm just going to say work to save. Save your money. I think you should work to give. That's good. Okay, how can you give? How can you give the ties? All right, well, you got to work. So give 10% to God, but how can you give to missionaries? How can you give to somebody who's in need out of the 90%? You got to make money. Okay. And, and, uh, and then finally, I think you give to witness. I mean, you work to witness. Mm -hmm. So I have had people say to me, Evan, I hate my job. Oh, the people that they're, they're just, they're sinful and they're wicked. And I got to hear cussing all day. And they talk about, and they, I'm just, I want to work a job where people are Christians. Okay. I, I fully respect that and understand that. I can understand. I, I understand. I've worked in environments. I've been in environments where you got to go home, and read your Bible to try to purge your ears. <laughs> okay. So I understand that. All right. But maybe with this podcast today, somebody can get a different perspective is what if instead of you seeing as at a place that's an inconvenience and a grind on you, why don't you see it as a harvest field? Mm. You know, we're sitting here and there's a, in this, studio and our we have a picture on the wall just happens to be a digger if you look behind you Mm -hmm. it's it's a field and it's uh, that's what you ought to see your uh, you know a field with with products that you you ought to see your work as a harvest field Mm. they if you leave and go where everybody else is a christian then you just got a bunch of light shining to everybody who already has the light but you're the light in the darkness so i think your work can be a place that is a that is a harvest field, and I just want to say a couple more things, a few more things about it. Um, <clears throat> find out what you enjoy doing, and then pursue it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the worst situation to be in is to be in a job that you hate, doing something that you hate to do. And my recommendation is start looking right now for something that you enjoy doing. and And they say the greatest job in the world is when you get paid for doing something that you love to do. Yeah. That's the greatest job. I mean, I love to preach. I love to pastor. So I, it's a calling on my life. So I'm, you know, I've, I've got that divine calling. But guess what? You can be called to be a landscaper, a plumber, a, a salesman, to, to a, a manager, a banker. I mean, the list goes on. There's a zillion jobs. An engineer, chemical engineer, whatever. Find out what it is that you enjoy doing and then go after it. And get paid for doing something that you enjoy doing. And then I, we haven't talked about this, but I, I think the Bible encourages us to have a strong work work ethic. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know my dad had a strong work ethic. His dad had a strong work ethic. Dad passed on to me to have a strong work ethic. So, and mom, both of them. So I was doing chores, and I had responsibilities in the house. And I think when I was around fifteen. Uh, 14 or 15, I, I started working summer jobs, part-time job, and learning what it was like to make money, learned how to tithe from that, learned how to save from that. Um, when I graduated high school, I went to work at UPS, which I unloaded the little brown trucks that you see running around. That was my job, was to unload them at night. Um, and I washed those trucks and kept them clean. I worked there for a year, and that was some really tough manual labor. But I made real good money there. Mm-hmm. It was a great place to work money. And then when I was in college, I worked. I worked at, at Valet Executive Parking at the airport in Charlotte. That's awesome. So I would pick people up. They would, they would come in, and we would get in the car and ride with them on Billy Graham Parkway to the airport. 
and and we would drop them off. I'd get their bags out and hope for a tip, and then I'd take their car back and park it. And then when they came back in, they would call us, and we would get in the car, drive back over there, and pick them up, bring them back. They and if they wanted us to wash it while it was gone, we would wash it the day they were showing up. I had this little system, um, and I even I even did some work study at the college. Uh, and I cleaned toilets. One mm. of the toughest jobs I had is I cleaned a men's dorm. And you want to talk about, I'm sorry. oh, toilets and showers that were just terrible in a men's dorm. But I did it for work study to, you know, pay off my bill. Um, but, but, but my point is I had a good hard work ethic and I've kept that work ethic through the years. And so I, I always like to say people work hard and have a clear conscience when you get your paycheck. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Have a clear conscience when you get your paycheck. Get your paycheck and say, I worked hard this week. You know, I, I, I deserve this. And then pass that work ethic on to your children. And you're sitting in here and you work hard. Your brother works hard. You both are successful. Of course, you're called into ministry, but you're successful what you do. Your brother um, works as a salesman and, and uh, he's incredibly successful, Mm -hmm. but he works hard. And I just think that's something that you want to pass on to your kids. Um, And then here's something else I want to say is don't live for the weekend. You know, there are people that just live for the weekend. I just, Oh, if I can just get to Friday, Oh, if I can just get to Friday and you, you waste five days of seven. So you live five days to try to, to, you, you, you exist five days to try to live for two days. Okay. It's not worth it. <laughs> it's, well, it's not. And you, you're missing the whole boat. Now, I don't know how many Christian people, and I'm probably most of the people listening to us are Christians, but, but it's a terrible way to live is to live for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Should you look forward to the weekend and fun things to do? Absolutely. I do that. I look forward to my day off, but I don't live for it. Yeah. Enjoy your work and live. Um, those days. And I want to talk about one more thing. You can pop in here. Um, the opposite of a good, strong work ethic and this theology of work is laziness. And the Bible has a lot to say about laziness and we're not going to go into all that, but it is diametrically opposed mm-hmm. to a theology of work. And, and I'm going to go so far. I have an opinion. You tell me what you think. I think laziness is a sin. Yeah. I think the Bible makes that very clear. Do you? Yeah. yeah I think it's abundantly clear. I, isn't that one of the what do they call them? The seven deadly sins? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it sloth? Sloth. That's, which is laziness. I think we even see this in, in a discipleship manner when uh, in, in the the parable of the, uh, I'm mess, forgetting the name, with the coins. Man, the one guy gets 10, the one guy yeah, gets the talents, five. The parable talents. of the talents. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. I think there's, in a sense, even in a discipleship manner, where if you don't do anything with what God has given you, Jesus comes back and is very upset. Right. I think that's even evident in our discipleship, and it reflects in our everyday lives and work as well. Take take it, yeah. And if and if you fight laziness, this, I think this is one of the things you pray through over. Mm-hmm. I think you get down and you say, God, I need a metamorphosis. I need mm-hmm. a transformation to change me so that I, I value your work and I'm a steward and I'm, dri- I'm driven and help me, God, not to be lazy. But uh, I just really think this has been a great topic today. I'll be honest. I, I think this is just so applicable. I mean, we could probably sit here and talk another hour about it. Oh, yeah. It's what everyone goes through. I think it's one of those things where this is not a specialized topic. Everybody's going to work in some way, somehow, something like that. And I, and I would even say this, like for even stay-at-home mothers and things like that, I know that your work does not produce money. Would you agree that that's labor nonetheless? Oh, no. First of all, I don't <laughs> want to get... extremely meaningful. First of all, I'm not going to get all those moms out there mad at me. <laughs> well, I, I think so. I think if we're I on the same page If I there. didn't believe it, I would lie right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I guess I'm trying to look out for those who are like, hey, maybe you are a single mom. You're like, okay, am I just like out of this? Like, does this even apply the to me? Greatest, yes, it does. The greatest job in the world is investing in the next generation. Is, is, if, and I'm going to, and there are dads that do, there are those, mm-hmm. and they're not as common, obviously, where the, the women, woman works in the stay at home dad. That actually happens. Yeah. Okay. But it's not very common. I know that. The vast majority of times, it's the, the man, the husband, the dad's working. And if it's possible where a, the wife can stay home and be a stay at home mom and raise her kids, 
that is incredibly awesome. Mm -hmm. And the benefits are going to be incredibly awesome. Yep. And I have nothing but the utmost respect. And you, mom, work hard. You have a job. And no, you don't get a salary. You don't get a paycheck. But what you're doing has the greatest benefit. Your pay, your pay is that you get to see those babies grow up, being raised right, having that nurture, that care that is beyond what what would be where a, a, say a mom can't be at home all the time or whatever. There's more that you're investing in those kids. Yep. And f- for years, we don't we don't understand this, Evan, but for years. And I'm talking about decades ago, okay, that was the way it was. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, the dad worked, mom would stay at home with the kids. Kids would come home from school, mom was there to meet them, okay? And a more modern thing happened where then the women started going to work as well, and you had what, what are called latchkey kids, which created its own problems through the years, uh, through the decades. But if you can do it, Man, my hat's off to you, and I I have nothing but the greatest respect. And yeah, that's work. Yeah, that is you work. Mm-hmm. You work incredibly, and again, you do it for the glory of God to raise those babies and right. teach them and nurture them and and uh, teach them about Jesus and model Jesus to them. So yeah, absolutely, as I said, we could talk about this all day. I, and I'm be, me being a worker and an employer. I guess that's why I'm so full here. Mm-hmm. This resonates with me because. You know, I have a number of employees under me, and I, so, so I have I have to kind of walk that line as well as I work. So anyway, this is good. I hope everybody enjoyed this today. Absolutely, I think they did. I think it'll work out okay. I do think it'll work out okay. <laughs> Man, we got pun at the beginning and the end. Pun at the end. <laughs> Well, look, thank you so much for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed it. As always, like, share, rate, subscribe, send this episode to somebody. Just do everything you can to get it out. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you back in a couple of weeks.